Stardust streaks back home this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier and sometimes back to Earth. The Stardust mission was gloriously completed early on the morning of January 15 when a 100-pound sample return capsule touched down in the Utah desert. We'll have special coverage along with an introduction to your opportunity to participate through the Stardust at Home project. All that and our regular visits with Emily and Bruce, too. Stardust tops our space news, naturally, but just as one probe returns home, another is ready to leave. The New Horizons mission may be on its way to Pluto and the Kuiper Belt by the time you hear this. Our own Bruce Betts is attending the launch at the Kennedy Space Center. We'll get a report from him next week. In the meantime, you can get the latest on both these missions at planetary.org. You'll also find an update on the Mars rover Opportunity, still suffering from a problem with its robotic arm, but taking some great pictures. Speaking of pictures, Emily knows how to catch some of that shy and retiring planet Venus. I'll be back to begin our Stardust coverage in a minute. Hi, I'm Emily Lakdawalla with questions and answers. A listener asked, If Cassini can take pictures of Titan's surface through its hazy atmosphere, can the same technique be used to image the surface of Venus? Even though Venus possesses a thick, cloudy atmosphere a hundred times more massive than Earth's, the surface can be seen in certain infrared colors. About 20 years ago, astronomer David Allen found that heat radiation from Venus's hot lower atmosphere escapes through so-called spectral windows in the infrared. Allen made this discovery just before the Galileo spacecraft flew by Venus in 1990. The fortuitous timing of the discovery enabled Galileo's NIMS instrument team to map Venus through these windows. Not only did NIMS see Venus's lower atmosphere, they were able to see right to the surface. Since that time, Venus's surface has been observed using the same technique by ground-based telescopes and even the Cassini spacecraft during its flybys. What does the future hold for seeing Venus's surface? Stay tuned to Planetary Radio to find out. Did you see it? The Stardust Sample Return Capsule, or SRC, became a literal fireball in the earliest hours of last Sunday morning. Of course, you had to be under a fairly narrow swath of relatively clear skies. That was exactly what Andrew Westfall had in mind when he headed for the middle of nowhere. Andrew is a senior fellow and associate director of the Space Sciences Lab at UC Berkeley in California. He's also a key member of the worldwide science team that will examine the tiny bits of comet tail and interstellar dust returned by the wonderfully successful mission. When I called his cell phone, it was a frigid 28 degrees Fahrenheit at 1.45 in the morning. Yet Andrew wasn't alone in this mild form of insanity. Out there with him were his wife, his two young daughters, several friends and co-workers, and even his mom, all of them hoping to see the re-entry of the fastest artificial object in history. So we are at the Oasis exit on Highway 80 between uh, Wendover and Wells, Nevada. So we're a bit north of the trajectory. Uh, we pulled off onto a snowy road, and 
Uh, it's really cold out here. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh, and we've managed to find ourselves a clear patch of sky, which is the bi- biggest patch of sky, clear sky we've seen in uh, a couple of days. And uh, so we're just hoping that it's going to hold for the next few minutes, uh, long enough for us to be able to see the reentry. And you said it was snowing there just minutes ago? Yeah, so just uh, five miles up the road, it was uh, snowing like a blizzard. So Uh. we're hoping that doesn't catch up with us. Hey, Andrew, I don't want to keep you from your cameras there or anything. No, we're all set up. My mom is running the camera. Oh, that's Uh, great. Yeah, and uh, so uh, we're just going to take continuous pictures and see what we get. So right now we're just waiting. Give us a preview. I mean, we're going to talk uh, more at length about this topic of uh, Stardust at Home uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, tell us a little bit about what this project is going to uh, do and and how it's basically going to allow just about anybody who has a computer and an Internet connection to become involved with this project. Yeah, so, um, you know, what we're going to be doing is bringing, uh, Stardust is going to be bringing back not only the first samples of material from a comet and the very first samples of material from a planetary body uh, from beyond the moon, but it's also going to be bringing back the very first contemporary interstellar dust grains. So it's also basically uh, getting a sample of the galaxy for the very first time. Nobody has ever had contemporary interstellar dust grain in the lab to study, and we don't even know what the typical interstellar dust grain looks like. So we're really excited about the prospect of getting this first uh, collection of uh, these dust grains. And uh, sorry if I'm not uh, speaking very clearly. It's cold out here. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a ride. So uh, (laughs) anyway, the problem that we have, the challenge, is before we can even start analyzing these things, uh, we're going to have to find them in the uh, Stardust Collector. And the particles are tiny, and they make uh, very tiny little tracks in the aerogel when they uh, enter the aerogel. And uh, in order to be able to see them at all, we have to be able to uh, we have to image them in a uh, high magnification microscope. And the uh, problem, the challenge is that the area that they're distributed over is huge. It's vast on the scale of these particles. And so we have to look through more than a million fields of view uh, in a microscope to be able to find these uh, particles. And uh, that's just way beyond the resources of any research group. And uh, so uh, this is really a project born out of desperation, frankly. Uh, We just need the help to be able to find these things at all. And uh, so what we're going to do is uh, collect digital images of the Stardust Interstellar Collector in Houston in the Cosmic Dust Lab, and then we're going to be distributing those uh, images via a virtual microscope, which can run on people's uh, uh, laptops or computers, and through just their regular web browser. So you don't need to download any special software. You can just use... Uh, any regular web browser like uh, Netscape or Internet Explorer. As I understand, you were able to literally just go up the hall to your colleagues at the Space Sciences Laboratory who, right. uh, who run uh, SETI at home. Yeah, that's right. We uh, got the idea for doing this from our colleagues down the hall. Uh, as you say, uh, the SETI at home people are just down the hall from us at Space, Space Sciences Lab at Berkeley. Just an enormously successful project. It's uh, uh, the biggest computer in the world, 5 million users and more than 2 million CPU years of computing time. Stardust at Home is going to be different, of course. It's not using fair time on people's computers. It's actually using people's eyes. Yeah, people people uh, actually become part of the computer. Absolutely. And, you know, this isn't just a publicity stunt. This is really critical to the uh, success of the project. So we're really hoping that, that we're going to 
get uh, people to realize that this is really fun. I mean, it's just we've been having a lot of fun doing this. And, of course, people uh, people can learn more about the project at, uh, at planetary.org on the web. That's uh, right. You're, get, you're getting close now, maybe a couple of minutes away from the opening of this window where you're hoping. I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. And we're, I'm scanning the skies now looking for something uh, to move in the sky. And, uh, unfortunately, our window, our uh, clear sky window is closing down just a little bit. Mm. But uh, it is, uh, we still have a clear view of the sky and enough that I think we should be able to see it. Just hanging out and waiting and going to see what happens. Now I'm standing next to my daughter, Teresa, who is keeping a close eye on this, too. Teresa, you want to say hi? No, she's too cold. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess she's not. She's sitting on the hood of the car in her sleeping bag, along with her little sister, Laura. And probably just a bit warmer than you are. Uh, just a little bit. That's right. That's right. As, as, as I understand it, there, there really is not much more. You're not expecting anyway much more than a handful of these tiny particles. That's right. A few, Just a few dozen. We estimate, well, it's not our estimate, actually. It's an estimate made by Marcus Landgraf. Uh, that we should see something like 45 of uh, these interstellar dust particles. So it's a very precious set of uh, uh, dust grains, and we are going to have to be incredibly careful with them uh, before we do anything with them. They're uh, they're really a unique uh, uh, a unique set of samples. Now, once uh, excuse me, just a minute. Sure. You go ahead and start the start the pictures. Yeah. No, this is fine. Why don't you just start here? Yeah. All right. So I'm sorry. That's quite all right. No, break away whenever you need to, and okay. we'll just we'll just listen in as we we're now approaching 156, uh, which is roughly uh, when you're hoping to see this this capsule streak across the sky uh, yeah. what, faster yeah. than any other man-made object has ever returned to Earth. Yeah, and we're looking. We don't see it yet, but we're scanning. And uh, even though this thing is closed down quite a lot, it's uh, still a lot bigger than any uh, clear space of sky that uh, we've seen uh, today. So we feel very lucky that uh, we're getting anything at all. Well, we're going to hang in there uh, with you for a few more minutes at least. Right. Uh, tell us, uh, you will also be working with these particles once they are found with, with the help of uh, who knows how many thousands or tens of thousands of people? Yeah, that's right. We're going to be working down in Houston uh, with my colleague Christopher Sneed, uh, preparing samples for the community, uh, along with uh, other people uh, from uh, other institutions uh, like Lawrence Livermore National Lab. And uh, so it's going to be a big effort uh, preparing all these uh, samples in various forms for all the various kinds of analytical techniques that are going to be applied to the cometary grains. Uh, the interstellar dust grains are going to be... Uh, uh, that that's going to be oh 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 that like wow there it goes whoa hey, 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 hey. oh my god it's spectacular there's a bright luminous tra trail behind it it's kind of a yellowish color and it's slewing across the sky it's about to go behind a cloud and there it went behind a cloud now we can't see it but we still see the luminous trail behind it and now if we look further downstream. Uh, we may not see it again. It depends on whether there are any holes in the cloud downstream of where we are. But, wow. Okay, and we're going to keep our ears open for the sonic boom. We're in a place where we should be able to see it. What's that? I wasn't watching the time, but I think it should be in about three minutes after this. We'll try to keep quiet around then. And that was uh, it was just about 1.57 and a half, I think, that uh, that you went wild there. Maybe, Matt, if you could keep the, watch the time for us, that sure. would be great. 
Yeah, you're coming up on one minute wow. here. So, so real fireball, huh? That was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. Okay, <laughs> now I'm keeping an eye out for downstream, but I'm not too optimistic. I don't see too many holes down there. Oh, that's cool. I'm doing a little cut. I, I designed to eat you. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know where to start over. I have that. Just by coincidence, Bill Wilcox, uh, who designed the heat shield, is right here. Oh, no kidding. We're on the phone with uh, Planetary Radio. Do you want to say something? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Planetary Society. Hang on just a second. Okay. Hi, it looked great, and uh, it, was, it was trailing. Uh, you heard the descriptions went over, and uh, we're waiting for the sonic boom. Yeah, which uh, we think, Bill, may be only about a minute away. Uh, Bill, okay. uh, that's uh, pretty good getting to see your handiwork uh, as it actually does its job of protecting those samples. Hi, Matt. Yeah, hi. Andrew? Yeah, so we're listening now. We're trying to be quiet to listen to the sonic boom. Yeah, should be right about now. That was it. We heard it. Oh, we didn't catch it on the phone. No, it was. <laughs> I'm not too surprised. This is not a very great cell phone. But, uh, yeah, it sounded like uh, distant thunder. When we return, we'll hear a bit more from Andrew Westfall of Berkeley Space Sciences Lab, along with the actual touchdown of the Stardust Sample Return Capsule, and the thoughts of the mission's principal investigator, Don Brownlee. Stay with us. This is Buzz Aldrin. When I walked on the moon, I knew it was just the beginning of humankind's great adventure in the solar system. That's why I'm a member of the Planetary Society, the world's largest space interest group. The Planetary Society is helping to explore Mars. We're tracking near-Earth asteroids and comets. We sponsor the search for life on other worlds, and we're building the first-ever solar sail. We didn't just build it. We attempted to put that first solar sail in orbit, and we're going to try again. You can read about all our exciting projects and get the latest space exploration news in depth at the Society's exciting and informative website, planetary.org. You can also preview our full-color magazine, The Planetary Report. It's just one of our many member benefits. Want to learn more? Call us at 1-877-PLANETS. That's toll-free, 1-877-752-6387. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. This is Planetary Radio's special coverage of the return of Stardust from Comet Vild 2. We heard Stardust scientist Andrew Westfall and his merry band reacting to the brilliant fireball reentry of the sample return capsule as it headed for a touchdown at the Dugway Proving Grounds in the Utah desert. Just minutes later, NASA commentators confirmed opening of the main parachute. Here's a highly compressed replay of that event and the actual touchdown a few minutes after 2 a.m. on Sunday, January 15. Okay, we have confirmation of the main chute. Confirmation. Okay. All stations, main chute is open. We're coming down slowly. All stations, we have touchdown. Standing in the middle of nowhere, just off Interstate 80, Andrew had no direct access to NASA's mission reports. Gathering his freezing group around a cell phone, he was able to hear the coverage relayed from my computer, safe and warm in Southern California. After helicopter crews at Dugway found and secured the capsule, I checked in with Andrew one last time. Hey, Matt. Hey, listen, congratulations. Wow, this is really exciting. <laughs> well, fantastic. I, I'm fantastic. very happy to be able to relay this uh, to you out there in the middle of the desert. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for doing it. It's so exciting. 
to uh, to be able to hear it, you know, uh, uh, out here in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> listen, I, I'll, I'll take you back there in just a moment. But uh, listen, for you, what happens next? Well, what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to be flying out of uh, Salt Lake City uh, direct to Houston, and then the hard work begins of uh, preparing all these samples uh, for uh, distribution to the community and uh, getting the interstellar tray ready for uh, scanning for the Stardust at Home project. Fantastic. All right. Well, we will definitely check back with you and get uh, a few more details about Stardust at Home in the coming weeks, uh, Andrew, but we, uh, we hope that those next steps go, uh, go perfectly. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll give the last word to Stardust Principal Investigator Don Brownlee, a former guest of Planetary Radio. Don participated in a media briefing at the Dugway Proving Grounds less than four hours after the touchdown of the Stardust capsule. It was an emotional moment and a triumph that he attempted to put in both personal and scientific perspective. Uh, it's hard to describe what it feels like to be at this point uh, of the mission uh, we traveled almost 3 billion miles in space. We visited a comet, grabbed a piece of it, and it landed here this morning. It's an incredible thrill. It's very emotional. That's the first time I've seen the picture of, of the capsule sitting out in the mud. And I almost got a tear to my eye. Uh, you know, we did this mission to collect the most primitive materials we could in the solar system. I mean, we, we, went, we went to a comet that formed at the edge of the solar system. It's the same class of body as the, as the planet Pluto, except it was smaller, and it was well-preserved. It formed far from the sun under very cold conditions, and uh, we're confident that, that it was made out of the initial building blocks of our solar system. We have always stressed in this mission that we are stardust uh, because our planet and even ourselves have a direct relation to the planet particles that we brought back this morning. But I have to say, the most spectacular part of this entire mission for me was five minutes uh, before it uh, went out, a couple of, of us rascal people that didn't really have to do any real work uh, on, on this snuck out and ran outside with a bunch of bright lights. We ran down to the end of the fence and asked the guard, can we go out in that field? And he said, no. <laughs> and so, so we went down the road a little bit further. And then I saw something up there, I said, I thought, there's Mars. But I, Mar I knew Mars wasn't up there. It wasn't the right part of the sky. It looked like Mars, and it got brighter and brighter and brighter. And even though it was coming down from space, in our view from the ground, it was actually climbing in the sky. I love meteors, but normally when you see a meteor, it's a flash in the sky. It lasts about a second or so. And then you have to say, gee, that was fantastic, but, but what did I see? But this thing lasted about a half a minute this bright, luminous, climbing thing with this glowing trail behind it. It's ironic that you have a comet mission that ends producing a comet. Inside this thing is our treasure, our, our sample of the edge of the solar system that truly contains stardust, building blocks of the solar system. And it's in this little 32-inch capsule, which is being heated to thousands of degrees on the outside, coming through the atmosphere at 29,000 miles an hour, and uh, and then lands in this uh, wonderful place, the Dugway uh, Proving Ground, Utah Trust and Training Range in the Great Salt Lake Desert. It was a real thrill. So these samples will go to Houston. 
We have uh, over uh, about 150 people around the world that will be doing the preliminary analysis using a wide variety of, of techniques using these very, very special samples. It's just a, a real thrill. I have to remind you that this is a sample return mission. Sample return missions are quite different than other kinds of space missions because you bring it home. And much of the science uh, of this mission hasn't been done yet. It's going to be done in laboratories all over the world doing things you really can't do in, in space. And to, at least from my view, the most interesting thing about comets is that they are libraries that have stored, you know, the records of our formation, but they've stored it in very tiny little samples you have to study at very fine scale, which requires huge instruments like electron microscopes and even shopping center size uh, instruments. Uh, over the com coming, you know, weeks, months, and years, uh, I hope you'll be hearing a lot about this, and uh, I fully expect that... Uh, Textbooks in the future will have a lot of new information about the formation of our solar system from the samples that landed here this morning in Utah. Don Brownlee, Principal Investigator for the Stardust Mission, after the successful return to Earth of the sample return capsule. I'll return with Bruce Betts and this week's edition of What's Up, right after Emily. I'm Emily Lakdawalla, back with Q&A. In 1990, the Galileo spacecraft performed the first orbital imaging of Venus's surface in infrared wavelengths using instruments designed for observing Jupiter. This April, the European Space Agency's Venus Express spacecraft will arrive at Venus with an instrument specifically designed to penetrate Venus's thick atmosphere. The Virtus instrument can slice the light from Venus so finely that it will effectively be able to see to any depth within Venus's atmosphere, from its upper to its lower reaches, and all the way down to the surface. In fact, Virtus could even catch volcanoes on Venus in the act of erupting by imaging the thermal hotspots they produce, if there is such a thing as an active eruption on Venus. Got a question about the universe? Send it to us at planetaryradio at planetary.org. And now here's Matt with more Planetary Radio. Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. We are joined by the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts. And he and I have something something deeply in common today. We're both sick. <laughs> Different diseases, though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you, you seem to be more on the road to recovery, so I think I'm sicker than you are. No, I am definitely sicker than you are. Are you serious? Do, well, you, do you still have a fever? Because I don't have a fever. Uh, sure. Oh, yeah, you're such a liar. Let me feel your forehead. <laughs> Get away from me. <laughs> All right, what do you have for All us? Right, I'm fine. <laughs> Speaking of red thermometers, Mars is uh, shining reddish high in the south during the evening. Uh, it continues to shrink and fade off into the distance uh, as we uh, the Earth pulls away from it in our relative orbits. Jupiter is the really bright-looking star-like object shining in the southeast before and during dawn. And Saturn is rising. Saturn's really nice right now. It's rising in the east-northeast uh, right around the right around sunset. Uh, it's below Castor and Pollux, the stars in Gemini. So in the early evening, uh, it will be high in the east and uh, is a great, always a great telescope object to see those rings and maybe even some of its moons, especially Titan, the big one. Oh, this is this could hurt. Random space facts. <laughs> okay, all right. You're sicker than me. <laughs> <laughs> 
the Stardust spacecraft, which is the fastest re-entering object ever made by humans. So the fastest object to hit Earth made by humans. How fast, you ask? 28,860 miles per hour is its speed when it hits the top of the atmosphere. That's about 12.9 kilometers per second. No wonder it made such a pretty sight. Well, sure. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, meteors are are freak. Some of them are frequently much faster than that. Mm. But uh, usually they're little specks of dust and sand, not spacecraft. Hard to believe a little bugger could live through this, but but there you go. Now, we asked you, a little bit of a tricky uh, to phrase question, how close is Earth's perihelion in AU, remember AU is an astronomical unit, or the average distance between the Earth and the Sun? Well, the sun, Earth's orbit, although... Not very elliptical, is a little bit elliptical. And so how close is Earth's perihelion in AU? And give it to us in two decimal places. How'd we do, Max? We just passed a perihelion recently. A whole bunch of people. Uh, yeah, happy perihelion, by the way. Happy perihelion to you as well. <laughs> uh, a lot of people uh, came up with it. Some really had to search. Our winner this week, I think it's a first-time winner. He is a first-time winner. Reverend Brent Livingood. I don't know if it's Livingood or Living Good. We'll go with living good. Uh, but uh, the Reverend has been uh, entering the contest for a while, and uh, his his name came up this time. And he came up with 0. .98, 0. .98 of an AU at uh, perihelion. That is correct. So just so. a hair under 93 million. So We had a few people who didn't get it. They, they gave us the perihelion in miles or kilometers, but you did very specifically say in AU. And so 98% of an AU. Yes, I think it's uh, you know, it's more instructional because you compare it to the average distance. So you get an idea of how much uh, how elliptical the orbit really is. Well, Reverend Brandt, we're going to get a Planetary Radio T-shirt out uh, to you in the mail. Thank you very much for entering and uh, supporting the show. And the rest of you, keep at it. Keep trying. We're going to get around to everybody eventually. <laughs> we're trying. I think we should give a new prize away this week. Oh, huh? why don't we? Yeah. Can we yeah. do that? I think you should fix dinner <clears throat> for people. <laughs> okay. Oh, but you're sick. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. All I don't right. know if they want How to be touching instead, it. Instead, we give them one of our brand new Explorer's Guide to Mars posters. Oh, those are very cool. Let's do that. Very cool. You've got a uh, beautiful map of Mars in the middle and then surrounding it on the poster, all sorts of clever and wonderful information and pictures uh, about Mars exploration. It's like a second edition of this uh, poster, isn't it? This is actually the third edition. Third edition. And uh, I've been involved the last two, this, these last couple, and uh, and I, this is my favorite. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> then that's what we'll give away if to someone who correctly answers this question. And then is randomly selected as the winner. It's a little hard to phrase, so bear with me. Which planet in our solar system has the second highest gravity at its surface? Or in the case of the gas giants, the gravity at, say, one bar of pressure. So one, roughly one atmosphere, Earth's okay. atmosphere. Equivalent to sea level on Earth. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, so that's the, that's tricky Nisco's pesky gas giants. Uh, so which, which planet has the second highest? I'll, I'll tell you, Jupiter has the highest. What's the second highest? And where this gets a little screwy is that, remember, uh, gravity is a function of both distance and also mass. And so it, it ties into the density of the planet and things like that. So it's not not entirely obvious because the big planets, you get farther away and the gravity's less, but they have more mass, so the gravity's more. So who's going to win? You tell us. Tell them how to win. 
Well, get the right answer. But besides that, go to planetary.org slash radio, find out how to enter and to how to email your answer and win the fabulous Explorer's Guide to Mars poster that is a beautiful addition to any wall. You're going to want to get that to us by the 23rd, Monday, January 23 at 2 p.m., that specific time, and we'll make sure that your entry is one of those from which we uh, select next week's winner, that is, if you have the correct answer. Next time we talk to Bruce, it should be, uh, you should be at the Kennedy Space Center uh, enjoying the launch of uh, New Horizon, uh, a mission in which the Planetary Society has had a significant and continuing role. It's true. We've been supporting it and saved it from cancellation many times. Well, I should say we were played a significant role in saving it from cancellation. So we're excited about it. Say goodnight, Bruce. Goodnight, Bruce. Everybody go out there, look at the night sky, and think about your favorite cold medicine. Thank you, and goodnight. Got one word for you. NyQuil. <laughs> Do they have to sponsor now? <laughs> He's Bruce Betts, the director of projects for the Planetary Society. And when he's not at home in bed sick <laughs> and doing that, he's here with us for What's Up. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week to report on the New Horizons mission to Pluto. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California. Have a great week. <laughs> 